Welcome. You're listening to the You're Crazy Professor, but it might just work, amazing podcast. Episode 26. Coronavirus Madness. Corona Locura. Could we be heading for a widespread condition of Corona Locura among healthcare workers? We've been here before. All of the uncertainty surrounding the coronavirus that is communicated in media may be the key to why this pandemic could leave a legacy of large-scale ill health among the working population long after the coronavirus has been defeated and successful vaccinations are widely available. This chronic condition could be especially likely to be present among a wide range of healthcare workers and social care workers who've been working through the pandemic response in the UK in less than ideal circumstances with poor protection, possibly in breach of health and safety legislation, and where the potential for future litigation could exist. Given the UK government's recent advice for many workers to return to their workplaces if they can, ahead of any loosening of the lockdown, and while the reinfection rate remains close to 1 than to 0, The concerns I'm expressing here may not just be restricted to healthcare workers and social care workers, but the larger UK working population, particularly blue-collar workers. These are unprecedented times, we're told, with a highly infectious virus that continues to confound experts in the fields of medicine, epidemiology, virology and immunology. A virus that possesses a very low fatality risk for most, yet is able to travel very readily, which can lay within the infected yet asymptomatic individuals for several days before exhibiting itself. It seems to have a widely variable lethality for different demographics of sufferers in a way that cannot be fully justified yet. Experts are looking at the possibility that there may be an unknown genetic component or an expected environmental aspect to the disease progression that could explain its variation amongst the mortality statistics. Uncertainty, fear and blame now may be the crucial ingredients for a future healthcare epidemic. A persistent after-effect of the pandemic and national response of a lockdown may be the development of a widespread condition amongst hundreds of thousands of sufferers. Such sufferers may present in general practice with non-specific symptoms and issues related to autoimmune responses and possibly new allergy issues. In the past, when large-scale symptom developments occurred in communities or whole populations, such symptoms tended to include headaches, tiredness, both physical and emotional, coughing, visual irritation, sore throats, rashes, respiratory problems, nausea, diarrhoea and vomiting. Collections of such non-specific symptoms, symptoms that are not specific to any particular organic condition, are not very helpful in diagnostic terms. There often tends to be a large variation in symptoms between individual sufferers and the medical model cannot deal with this. Specifically, there will not be a set of consistent cardinal symptoms among sufferers and this will be combined with the absence of a common and explainable physical cause. The more common symptoms will be a general psychological and physical fatigue, anxiety, chronic pain and affective disorders such as depression or anxiety. Because of this, and with an absence of helpful or meaningful interactions with practitioners and GPs who may struggle to deal with such a condition in their patients, Many sufferers will feel let down and angry 
and many may form highly vocal support groups to campaign for recognition and acknowledgement of this strange post-coronavirus ill health. Traditional medical training and practice had long relied on the dominant medical model that most of us are very familiar with, an understanding of any disease based upon an assessment of the patient's symptoms and how they related to other known diseases and the causative factors and exposes to such known pathogens. The stealthy introduction of the biopsychosocial model, widely proposed by Engels and others in the late 70s, saw the need for medicine to be less symptom and pathology focused and look more towards holistic aspects of the patient's lifestyle and lived experience. This transition of influence is summarised by Ramazzini's writing in way back in the 17th century. Bernardino Ramazzini, the godfather of occupational medicine, wrote this. When you come to a patient's house, you should ask him what sort of pains he has, what caused them, how many days he has been ill, whether the bowels are working and what sort of food he eats. So says Hippocrates. I may venture to add one more question. What occupation does he follow? Since the 1990s, the wide-scale implementation of the biopsychosocial model into mainstream clinical and healthcare practice means that the patient's views, experiences, thoughts, beliefs and feelings all have a bearing upon ill health formation and their symptoms. Individual differences among patients, such as personality, beliefs, learned experiences, even faith and religion, can all influence their ill health. In short, the biopsychosocial model follows, follows the views of René Descartes that the mind and the body are essentially two connected parts of the same organism and they're codependent on each other for optimal thinking and functioning. Should one start to suffer, the other will also. With this is an implicit knowledge acknowledgement that people's emotions and cognitions contain the power to make them healthy, but they also, conversely, have the potential to make people sick and to keep them sick in some cases. The characteristic of blushing is a classic example of this. Shame or embarrassment, a psychological process, can cause the sufferer's body to increase the release of adrenaline, which causes capillaries to widen, which brings blood flow close to the surface of the skin, hence the blushing. So it's a physical response brought about from a psychological experience. The mind can indeed influence and rule the body and how they feel emotionally can influence how they observe and react to their own physical symptoms. Even though it's acknowledged that the mind can influence the body, many people generally feel insulted or slighted. If someone were to observe that the cause of their symptoms may be all in the mind, it is a slight then, as if the symptoms are not real. And somatic symptoms that are brought upon by distress or unhappiness are just as real as those that are caused by physical injury or trauma. The problem with this is that the many collections of symptoms that could have a psychological cause are hard to investigate because of such inconsistency in those symptoms and the medical model, often used by researchers, struggles to go with such a lack of homogeneity in symptoms and causes of ill health. Similar events occurred in the 1990s where the social circumstances enabled such a presentation of multiform somatic symptoms among sufferers with no medical agreement available on what was wrong with them. In the early 1990s, 
thousands of sheep farmers in the UK were legally required by the UK Government Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries and Food, MAF, to dip their sheep twice a year with organophosphate chemicals. Prior to this, safer organochlorine sheep dips had happily been used by farmers, but because of the environmental impact of organochlorines and their persistence in the water table, MAF wanted to use to move towards using greener organophosphate sheep dips. Such organophosphate chemicals were harmless to sheep, but they killed ticks, lice and parasites that lived on the sheep. And organophosphate pesticides were derived from very powerful neurotoxic nerve agents that could kill humans via swift respiratory paralysis. So deadly to humans, harmless to sheep and pretty harmless to the environment. So dangerous were the organophosphate chemicals that if they were inhaled or splashed on the skin, they had to be stored carefully and all farmers using them were recommended by MAF to wear heavy personal protective equipment, including visors, overalls, boots and gauntlets. Understandably, many sheep farmers were unhappy about being forced to use dangerous chemicals, especially when the effects of such long-term exposure would not be known. Why replace a safe chemical with a highly lethal chemical? Dipping sheep is physically demanding work and doing so in full PPE was often impossible for most sheep farmers. The situation, people being forced to work with uncertain biological agents in a hazardous environment and where there's potential for litigation, soon led to hundreds, thousands of UK sheep farmers developing chronic health problems, the severity of which seemed to be related to how much dipping work they'd undertaken. Their symptoms generally included coughs, respiratory problems, cognitive problems, fatigue and tiredness. Much research in the 90s concluded that there was no physical explanation for such ill health amongst the sheep farmers as any exposures they had to the organophosphate pesticides would have been so low as to be inconsequential. So their chronic ill health problems were ascribed to being caused by stress or distress or some other psychological problem. Similarly, tens of thousands of serving military personnel from many countries, including the UK and USA, were deployed to the Arabian Gulf for Operation Desert Shield in 1990-1991. They had similar issues to sheep farmers. Upon returning to home countries, several thousand military personnel reported ill health in varying extents, with a variety of different non-specific physical and psychological symptoms. Because such symptoms varied widely amongst the sufferers and because no single identifiable physical cause could be identified after studying thousands of sufferers' accounts, military officials declared that there was no such thing as Gulf War Syndrome. The science could simply not support the validity of such a health problem without a physical cause consistent to all sufferers. Understandably, this led to thousands of personnel, both former and those still serving, feeling let down by the military, feeling that they were being labelled as malingerers or frauds. It did not result in a collaborative atmosphere for any researchers trying to establish what was going on. It was only in the late 1990s when the UK Ministry of Defence actually acknowledged that Gulf War Syndrome could possibly exist but the causes of veterans' ill health was put down yet again to personal fears about combat, chemical weapons and general combat stress. In short, their physical health problems 
were blamed upon their worries and psychological distress, rather than the inherent danger within the job. The situation facing hundreds of thousands of workers in the UK right now is not dissimilar from the situations faced by sheep farmers and Gulf War syndrome vets. All of those workers were doing hazardous and risky work in unprecedented circumstances where danger and peril were clearly present with no firm understanding of what the effects of such exposure and risks could be. In many cases, this work was done against their better decisions. The effects of health of those workers was monumental. Some research into Gulf War syndrome and Dipper's syndrome concluded that the biggest single predictor for someone developing mysterious and unexplained chronic ill health problems tended to be a possession of a history of low-level mental health problems in the sufferer. I'll venture further and say that should any epidemic of unexplained ill health occur amongst UK frontline workers, the biggest single predictor of those suffering from these health problems will likely to be found by an inquiry to be previous low-level mental health issues. As such, the sufferers of such conditions will, quite rightly, feel aggrieved further, as they will feel it's a dustbin diagnosis of being all in the mind, and that they're not taken seriously, that their problems aren't real, and they're not feeling recognised. Support groups and pressure groups will flourish. If the prediction I've said does come true, the most certain thing I can predict about it is that it will cost an awful lot of money in research, support, financial benefits, lost income, peripatetic costs and lost livelihoods and careers. It will be a long drawn out mess that the Department of Health and the Department of Work and Pensions will wrestle with. The causes of this are easy to see. With uncertainty and fear among hundreds of thousands of workers operating with poor inadequate protection in less than ideal working conditions, coupled with constant scary media coverage. These are the core ingredients for many functional conditions to develop. Psychological management of public health and workplace health could have a significant part to play in helping these workers to help them psychologically adjust to what they've been through and to avoid them developing any psychological and physical health problems going forward. Unfortunately, coronavirus has become an occupational condition. You've been listening to the You're Crazy Professor, But It Might Just Work amazing podcast. I hope it's been useful. I hope it's been educational. <laughs>